morning we want to talk about the uh, kingdom of mercy into which all of us have entered. We've been talking the last number of weeks out of Matthew 18 and uh, talking about the uh, process of church discipline, of resolving conflict among ourselves, but also how the church may need to get involved in that at some level. I want us to see that all of it is in the context of an incredible kingdom of mercy. I want to read most of the rest of Matthew 18, starting in verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Hear then the word of God. And then Peter came up and he said to him, to the Lord Jesus, Lord, how often will uh, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, and all that he had and payment be made, and to recoup his losses. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant raised him and forgave him, released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay his debt. And when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported it to their master, All that had taken place, the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we bow the knee knowing this is your word. Every word of it. And you are speaking it to your church. I pray this morning you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that it might change our souls, that it might change our relationships, that it might save us from ourselves. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Elizabeth O'Connor once wrote and said, the forgiveness we discover is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. So I want to be careful and understand that easier said than done. Uh, is, is often the order of the day on some of these things that we talk about. I don't want to make it sound easy, but I do want us to see the beauty and the power and the necessity of it 
Not because it's easy, but because God's grace enables us to do above and beyond all that we could imagine we could of our own strength. We've spent the last three weeks talking about looking at the steps of church discipline. We looked at Matthew 18, verse 15, and verse 16, and verse 17, looking through this process. Uh, but I want us to see the whole context, because it's interesting that that passage comes in the, in the middle of 18, and, and Matthew, in writing and putting together his gospel, having a world full of material to draw from as he pulls together Jesus' teaching to lay it out for us, he places, you'll notice immediately before 15 to 17 that we've been looking at, the parable of the lost sheep. And we need to see that the parable about the lost sheep isn't about lost people, it's about straying sheep, right? It's about the church. And so Jesus tells the parable about this, the sheep, the shepherd had 99, you know, 100 sheep, and, and one of them went astray. He tells how the shepherd went after the sheep, right? Went after him and got him, and when he got him, there was much rejoicing. And then he says immediately in verse 15, he tells us how that works. If your brother sins against you, if your brother strays, if your brother sins, go after him. If you go alone and it doesn't work, get some help and go after him again. Right? And so he's explaining, he, he tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then he tells you how practically to do that and to live that out in the life of the church. Verses uh, 18 to 20, he speaks of the church's authority to do this as it rises to, to verse 17. You know, in 18 and 20, he speaks of the authority. But, but Peter, listening to all of this, running through all of this, Implicit in all of Jesus' teaching, whether it's about the lost sheep coming back, and if, you're, if your brother listens to you or if he listens to the church, running through the whole thing is the idea of forgiveness. If the sheep strays, he doesn't just forgive him if he comes back. He actually goes and gets him and forgives him and brings him back. And if your brother sins against you, you don't just write him off, you know, fine, and that's the way he wants to be. He says you go after him. And running through it is if he listens to you, You've won your brother. He says you, you forgive him. If he listens to the church, if it rises even to that level, if he listens to the church, forgive him. Forgiveness is running through behind it. And this immediately prompts Peter's famous question, right, that we started with here back in verse 21. Prompts his question, how many times? Which prompts Jesus' startling answer. And then Jesus illustrates his answer by painting this picture, right? The stark contrast between the merciful king and his unmerciful servant. Peter, listening to all of this teaching by Jesus, this talk of the joy of, of the forgiveness of, of the sheep, the straying sheep being returned, you know, the joy that is behind it. He hears that if he repents, you should forgive him. And in his head, Peter has probably got some real-world examples going on, even as you might. All right, so you go after him and you forgive him, okay? And so Peter's got it in his head of what he's saying, and he's thinking of Bill or Mary or Fred or, you know, whoever. He's, he's thinking of, of probably real-world examples of folks he's forgiven a number of times, and he's starting to wonder, how far does Jesus want to take this, Right? It raises the question in Peter's mind that he asks in verse 21. It's a very human question. Just exactly how forgiving do I have to be? Tell me you haven't been there. 
just exactly how forgiving do I have to be? How many times? See, the rabbis of the day had already debated this issue. This is not something that, you know, they haven't thought about. It's a very human question. How many times? You know, this God who forgives us. And the rabbis had debated it, and they'd settled the issue. They settled the issue and said, you forgive three times. That is sufficient mercy for the case that a person should forgive three times. Peter, hearing Jesus' gracious teaching about the, the shepherd going after his sheep and the church dealing with each other and forgiving each other at every step of the way, and he offers a proposal. He probably thinks he hears all this gracious teaching of Jesus. He knows the rabbis say you should do it three times. He offers a rather generous proposal, a biblical number. I know, I'll go with seven, right? It's more than double what the rabbis say, right? It's certainly generous, and it's a biblically perfect number. How about seven, Jesus? Probably said it with a, like, you know, you know, a little self-sense, like, this is, that's a good answer, right? That was Jesus hearing, hearing Peter doesn't agree. You know, so let's, let's pause and just think about Peter's proposal for a second. Because he's, he, he's forgetting portions of Jesus' teaching. Jesus also taught things like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, you know, some, one of the others, at least, is not just each other, because we might say, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And so, I, you know, I could do with seven. I mean, hopefully I don't offend you more than seven times in any, you know, you know, maybe that would be enough. But one of the others is God. And so we should do unto others as we would have others do unto us, including the Lord. What kind of limit do you want to put there, Peter? Like, Peter is not thinking about his own need for mercy. As he puts this limit out there, because if he really brings it home, he would understand it's not as generous as he thought. But praise be to God, he does not think like rabbis. <laughs> and he doesn't listen to Peter. Uh, Peter has a lot of suggestions that the Lord doesn't listen to. Right? And Jesus, what Jesus does is he reveals God's heart, which is really startling. It's really hard to wrap our minds and our hearts around in our own experience. Not seven times, but 77. Some have 70 times seven. Some debate on whether it's 77 or 70 times seven. Either way, it's a lot, right? It's a, it, it's a number that when Philip Yancey says this, he said, it hardly matters whether Jesus said 77 or 490. What he's saying is if forgiveness is not the kind of thing that you count on an abacus, right? He's saying the same thing. He's saying it's not the kind of thing you count. Like, all right, Steve, that's number 58. You got 19 left, right? You know, it's, like, it's not like they cat lives or something. You're counting them. So the point is, whether it's 77 or 490, he's saying it's not the kind of thing you count. He is saying the same thing here that he says in 1 Corinthians 13, that love keeps no record of wrongs, right? That, that's his point. Not, not seven, but 77. Like, you, you don't count that high. Like, you don't keep, love doesn't keep a record. It's not counting. If they have repented, you forgive them, period. Ephesians 1.7 says, in Him, in the Lord Jesus, we have a redemption through His blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses. All of them. Past and present and future. We have the forgiveness of all of our trespasses according to the riches of his mercy. So I like the song that we're learning, the new one that we sang first, you know. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. This is a marvelous thing, right? Praise be to God that he doesn't listen to rabbis. Our model of mercy, our fountain of forgiveness is the same riches of his grace that he sheds abroad on us. Jesus' point is there is no limit on mercy. That when somebody repents, when there is repentance, there is forgiveness. And that is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's the way we do life together. Where there's repentance, there's forgiveness. It's the way of the kingdom. There must be a readiness to forgive each other. He says, from the heart. A deep well of mercy. The short version of Matthew 18. We said all of Matthew 18 with the lost sheep and the you know, 15 to 17 in church discipline and Peter's question and, and Jesus' answer and the illustration, you can all get it summed up in like a sentence or two in, in Luke 17. So in Luke 17, 3 to 5, he says this, pay attention to yourselves, right? And, and that's where Matthew 15 starts, you know, we're paying attention. If somebody strays, if you stray, right, paying attention to ourselves. If your brother sins, you notice that as you're paying attention, Right? This is Matthew 18, 15. Uh, rebuke him or confront him. Tell him his fault. Go to him. Go after him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, right? Not in the year, right? But in the day. And if he turns to you seven times and he says, I repent, you must Forgive him. That's why I love the apostles. I'm pretty sure it was Peter. Increase our faith. Because that's a lot of mercy. That's a lot of forgiving. That's dealing with a lot of junk. Increase our faith. See, faith takes hold of God, right? And Jesus reveals the heart of God in this passage, as he says, 77 or 70 times 7, and he illustrates the, the magnitude of God's mercy with a, another parable following all of this, right? And he says, a guy owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in, in at least my understanding and reading is that 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral that they had. And you just had to start like Two ten thousands, you know, where you know it was the highest Greek numeral there was, and the talent was the highest form of currency. It was a weight of metal, so you'd have a talent of silver, a talent of gold, and it it was a, a weight. It was the highest unit of measure that they used in currency. So you had the highest numeral, the highest weight of unit of currency is how much money this guy owed. In other words, it was fairly incalculable. More money than any normal person even would ever see or experience in his lifetime. Any of us would ever hold in our hands. It's an absurd amount of money. It's not doable. The debt's not payable for a normal human being. That's why Jackman commenting on it says that the first debt was so great it could never be repaid. The second debt is so petty it might easily be overlooked. 
And what God is doing is giving us perspective. Right? The whole thing is about perspective. The servant falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. Asks for patience. He asks for time. Give me time to pay it off. Which is really, and the king knows it, which is really just a stall tactic. Because the debt, the guy's not going to go off. I don't care how much time he gives him. He's not going to pay it off. Part of the, the picture that Jesus wants to paint when he says the guy owed him 10,000 talents, it was like saying, if I'm doing the parable and I said he owed him a trillion dollars, right? I don't even think Bill Gates could pay. I don't know how much money he has. But, but for all of us in the room, we'd be like, take me away. <laughs> like, ain't going to happen. Right? It's not going to happen. He begs for mercy. He asks for patience and for time for his debt. But the king does more than he even asked or imagined. He freely and fully cancels this astronomical sum of money that was his due, was his money. And he freely and he fully and completely forgives it. Cancels the entire debt. He didn't give him more time. He didn't reduce it to a manageable number. He didn't put him on a payment plan. He canceled. He just forgave the entire thing. Done. Get out of my sight. We're, we're done. Call us even. You know, a ripple would go through the crowd. I mean, it's the kind of thing that if it was your situation and it was a real thing, it's the kind of thing that is fairly unbelievable that he would forgive so much. This guy should have been beside himself with gratitude. Right? This, is, this should have been the defining moment of this man's life. Right? Where he was in such a place. And he and his wife and his children, his whole life was going to be ransomed and not even make a dent in what he owed. His life was over. It was it. And the king, more than he could ask or imagine, it should be the defining moment. He should have been beside himself, which is why his response is so jolting. And your heart and your mind should be saying, how could he be so merciless? How could he possibly walk out of the king's presence and behave like that. It doesn't make any sense. How could his heart be so hard with judgment after having received so much mercy? <laughs> what a picture. It says he actually chokes him, like gets him by the collar. I want my two dollars. I want my, you know. What does he want us to see in this picture? It's really two things. The first thing he wants you to see in the picture is the glory of the king. The kingdom of mercy. Right? He's a kingdom of mercy. But the other is the expectation that his subjects should be like him. That they too would show such mercy. And, and that's why verse 33 echoes through the whole passage. Echoes through the entire Chapter, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The Lord is asking you this morning, 
Should you not also have mercy on your fellow servants as I have had on you? Look around the room. Think through the church directory. Think of the people that live in your house or in your neighborhood. This is addressed to the ecclesia. As Matthew 15, tell it to the church. It's a kingdom that he has, that we have all entered into. Under the king, and he wants us to see the ugliness of the servant's heart. The ugliness of the servant's heart juxtaposed over and against, set over and against the mercy of the king, the beauty and the glory of his forgiveness. Increase our faith, indeed. So my applications, I titled it, Increase Our Faith. As we think about it, let me just run through a few things quickly. And number one is, first I'm going to talk about Well, in this parable of the kingdom, I want us to see that we're part of a kingdom of mercy, right? He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, and his own son sort of set the kingdom up by the shedding of his blood and the covering of our sins, right? And and extending a mercy that is is all incalculable. It's a kingdom founded upon the foundations of a mercy that is almost unfathomable, the glory of the king. And so the law of the kingdom is no matter how great a person's debt, if he pleads for forgiveness, he shall have it. It's the law of the kingdom. It's the way of the king. Jackman says that the ultimate reality in all of the universe is the character of the living God whose heart is full of grace and love and children of the kingdom are lovers of mercy. Do you, do I love mercy? Not just for ourselves. And it means that we forgive, not just because it's good for us. And every time I hear a sermon, and, and don't, you know, I get, not every time, I guess, but almost always I hear these talks on, on forgiveness, and almost always you're told to do it because it's good for you. Right? It's good for your heart. All that bitterness in there is like a cancer. It's going to eat you up. Right? It is so, it will set you free if you will let go of your bitterness and your anger and, and you'll let that grudge out. And if you let it go, it is good for you. Now, let me just say right off the bat, that's true. It is good for you. And your, and your, your hatred and your anger and your bitterness or whatever it is will eat your soul like a cancer. But never does the Bible offer that as the motive to forgive. The motive that God gives always is his own mercy. He is the motive. And his mercy towards you is the motive. First and foremost, it is who he is. It is what he has done. It is who he has made us to be. It is the kingdom into which he has enveloped us as his children. So let me talk just briefly here. The beauty of preemptive forgiveness, the obligation personally to forgive, and then if the session forgives someone, right? And, and just quickly on the preemptive forgiveness, I believe that this is an important one. I think that all of this lays the foundation for a lot of mercy and a lot of forgiveness that's given just 
without even being asked. In other words, we have the ability to overlook minor faults. Love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, we don't have to take offense at everything. We don't have to take offense. We could choose not to take offense. We all sin. We all stumble. We all have bad days. We all get hungry, tired, get up on the wrong side of the bed, right? But we can let, we can let little stuff go with each other. Right? We don't have to hold such strict accounts in that sense. And what I'm saying, I mean, is I can be impatient. You know, we slight one another at times. You know, we're just insensitive at times. There are ways that we stumble. You might see me roll my eyes or something. You know, there are just a thousand little ways where we could offend one another, step on each other's toes, forgive them, let it go. I know my own sin. I know my own need for mercy. I know my own tendency. We'll take turns on that, right? I get up on the wrong side of the bed this week, and you just forgive my little, you know, whatever. You get up on the wrong side, and I'll forgive you. We'll just take turns being gracious. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, to bear with one another. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Why do we need to earnestly love each other? Since love covers a multitude of sins. And it, will, and it will smooth out the community, our life, so much if we would just love earnestly and forgive freely and graciously. Now, I'll say right away as we move into the next things that if an offense is affecting your relationship with someone, if there's a, a substantialness to it, that it's affecting your relationship or your relationship with the Lord or your relationship with the church, then you know you need to go back to Matthew 15 to 17 and do what he says. It, it, go to your brother, go to your sister and talk to them. You know when you need to do that. and You know when God gives you the grace to just overlook an offense. And so we have this obligation, verse 33, to forgive. And that's what Jesus is saying. Should not you have had mercy on each other in the same way that I have had mercy on you? And nothing brings home our duty of forgiveness. And I do believe it is a duty of forgiveness. It's not, it's not wrong to have things that are obligations on us in the kingdom. It's the law of the kingdom. And nothing brings it home. If the king's response at the end of this parable doesn't bring it home, and read the king's response again, if that doesn't bring it home, then the Lord's prayer brings it home. Right? Every time you pray the Lord's prayer, you, you put yourself in a particular position. right? Because Jesus taught us to pray. If you pray it the way that he gave it to you anyway, he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive. Do unto me as I have done unto others. That's what you're praying. So in your heart, there ought to be a doing unto others in the way you want them to do unto you, right? Forgive my debts as I have forgiven others. It, 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 it's saying I haven't even come to pray, you know, until I have already forgiven the debts of others, right? If you're offering your gift there at the altar and you remember there your brother or sister has something against you, go and be reconciled. Then come and finish the prayer so that you can pray, forgive me as I have already forgiven. It's the law of the kingdom and it's the work that you do, and so we put it on ourselves. You cannot even pray the Lord's Prayer unless you are doing what the Lord Jesus is telling us to do here. He expects everyone. 
you're going to daily ask for forgiveness, to be daily given it. Now, I'll give you a caveat. I do it all the time. It means, does not mean a person has to endure abusive or criminal behavior. And where there's abusive behavior, you need to tell it to the church. If it's criminal behavior, you need to tell it to the church and to the police. And you need to get counsel. So never resist to be. And I've heard there are times where abusive situations have been allowed to go on because I'm supposed to forgive them. And I don't think that Jesus has that in mind. I don't think the Scripture has that in mind. And I don't think that we ever should put up with such things. And that's why Matthew 18, 17 ends where it does and putting people out of the church where that kind of stuff goes on. Now if the session, and this is you know last one here, if the session forgives someone and they remain in the church, you must forgive them. So if it has risen to 17, verse 17, tell it to the church if they don't listen even to the church. Um, but if they do listen to the church and the church forgives them, then we need to forgive them. All of us need to forgive them. If it's a personal issue, then you need to go back to chapter verse 15 and take care of your personal issue. But if a person who you may be aware has been engaged with the session, that they're under discipline, something has happened, if you're aware of it, and if they've submitted to the government and discipline of the church, and the session has met with them and heard their confession and dealt with them, and if the session forgives them and they remain in the church and you come across them in ministry and in the life of the church, if the session has forgiven them, then you must forgive them as fully and as freely as the Lord has forgiven you and the church has forgiven them. And welcome them back into the life and the ministry of the church. Let me just finally just make this note as we think about increasing our faith and the source of the power to forgive like a God, like the God. And it does make an increase in our faith. It takes a work of the Spirit of God in our souls. But it is the work that He does. It's the work that He is doing. It is the Word that He speaks to us again and again in so many ways. That if we sort of soak in in first in our own need for mercy, that I need to go daily and say, forgive me my sins. That daily I need to be forgiving the sins of others. I need to soak in my own need to pray that prayer, to plead for forgiveness. To soak there enough to know that the wages of my sin is death and hell. And I have a debt that I cannot afford to pay. And and if, and if if the Lord were to take me by the collar and demand payment, it would not go well for me. And so as he lets go of my collar, we let go of each other's collars. We don't choke penance out of each other. The king of mercy daily forgives us through the blood of Christ. And as we soak in the freeness and the fullness of it, and I'm just going to close by reading a few a handful of verses in quick succession. Kind of things that we soak in as we think about forgiving each other. Isaiah 38, 17, it says, In love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all of my sins behind your back. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7.19, he will again have compassion. He will again have compassion on us. And he will tread our iniquities underfoot. And you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Not into the shallows of the sea, but the, those unfathomable depths. He will cast our sins. 
Isaiah 43:25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Behind his back, as far as the east is from the west, tread under his foot in the depths of the sea, blotted out and remembered no more. And then he says, should not you also have forgiven each other as I have forgiven you? The blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. Thomas Boston says, God the Father takes a pen, he dips it in the blood of his son, and he crosses off the sinner's accounts, and he blots them out of his debt book. The king of mercy, more than you or I could ask or imagine. And so it echoes through the kingdom. Should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? The greatest motive for mercy is mercy. The mercy your own soul has tasted. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which is living and true and for the mercy that is ours. And we do pray that our souls would experience it at such a depth that we would love mercy. And that like our King, we would give it freely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.